Now it's time for Inspirational Women, and we meet S.W. Leisher, an author, a writer. Susan brings us a thought-provoking novel, Acts of Atonement, where we are immersed into a New York City world, given the opportunity to learn, to really get a sense of an Orthodox Jewish culture, of a Latino culture, of family, values, education. Well, let's just meet Susan and have her share some of these insights. Good morning, Susan Leischer. It's certainly wonderful to have you join us today and to have this opportunity to delve at least a little into this amazing book, Acts of Atonement. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you for giving me the chance to do it. I'm, I'm thrilled to be with you. You know, it just, the, the term atonement really captured my attention when I first had the opportunity of doing just what we're doing, having a conversation of the book. And atonement just felt like this really important thing in our lives for all of us. And I thought, well, this will be very interesting. And and it, it did tweak that there were so many parts of it that cover so much in our world that's affecting us right now. And we're all dealing with or reacting to in some ways. So so for, first of all, then, thank you for writing such a book, Acts of Atonement, and for doing so, I'm going to say deftly, that there's deftly, that there's so much, that, so many topics that are so relevant, but you do it in such a way that it's, you know, I actually thought of it as a tapestry, that these were all these threads that were weaving together and really come out to be an amazing picture that we could hang on a wall. Oh, well, that's lovely. That's a, nice, that's a nice thought. Yes, there are many, I mean, there are many, many interrelated themes. And, uh, and, and perhaps it takes, it takes a while to get into all of them, but they all do tie together by the end completely. And yes, and I have to say, they, it happens really rather quickly because as I started first, I thought, Oh goodness! Now where is this going to go? But oh my goodness! Very quickly, I was just sliding right deeply into a story. Um, you obviously are a writer and author because you you just have these images of the characters in their full stories that are, are really so amazing and really grip us. Oh, that's nice to hear. That's wonderful. Yes. Well, well, I've been living with these characters. Uh, well, this is actually this is a sequel. And uh, the first book has the characters when they're young, very young, and this one is when they're in their sort of mid-30s, the main two characters. And so I've lived with them for, for quite a while, actually. <laughs> I've gotten to know they were, And I, I wrote it, I wrote it during, during the height of the pandemic, and they were my mostly companions, frankly. So I got to know them very, very well. I spent more time with them than with almost anyone else except my husband. <laughs> Well, so as you say, it is a sequel, which I'm looking forward to, to going back to reading the first book. And, and it's not necessary to have read it in sequence. No, no we, I hope not. Absolutely not. Right? It, no, and no. I, I felt I could just jump right into this book, and it felt like it was just its own story. But knowing this as these adult women, and we're talking about Paloma and Sirach? Sirach, yeah. Sirach. Oh, mm -hmm. it's that's lovely. So, so y you had started with them as as girls uh, mm -hmm. in the in the first book. So, how is it that you settled on them? How did they come to you as characters that you wanted to develop and and write about? 
Well, it, it wasn't a direct path by any stretch of the imagination. It actually all started when I read a newspaper article about then-Mayor Michael Bloomberg, who was having a big fight with the Heredi, the uh, seriously orthodox community of New York City. And I wanted to write a story about a little boy caught up in that controversy and in that conflict. And I tried to get into his head, and I found I couldn't get into the head of a little Heredi boy. I just couldn't do it. And it, it took quite a while to get there. So I had to invent an older sister for him who would tell the story and tell the story in a way that I could understand and that my readers could understand. And so I invented Sarah. And I made her a rebel because she had to have knowledge of the community and a deep love for her little brother, but she also had to have the perspective that comes from having left the community. And once I had her in place, I said, aha, aha, why is she rebelling? And there were many, many reasons. The last one to come up was the fact that she's gay. That one didn't come up at first. That didn't occur to me. Um, but once I made that decision, or once she told me to make that decision, I had to create a partner for her. And so I created Paloma. But, but actually what fed into them mostly, and my characterization of them, they were, they were two things. One was, I was at the time, my, my professional life was uh, writing about uh, New York women and New York girls across all different communities. I was working for a foundation that asked me to do a report on girls and women across all of New York's communities. And so my head was all full of stories of Orthodox Jewish women and Latina immigrant women and Chinese American women and South Asian women and, and black American women. They were just frothing around inside my head and I had to get it down. And the other thing that fed into their development was my own family. I am half Jewish, New York Jewish, and half Latina immigrant. My mother came from Costa Rica. And so I had a lot of sort of background knowledge about what a relationship between those two cultures might look like, and that fed into it, too. And that's so amazing to take those parts of yourself. And, of course, self needs to pour into your writing, right? That's mm -hmm. very yeah. natural. But the way that it just blends and the, that you can take all your experiences and, and build on them, well, like your other life, your other work, how that plays into this book as well. I, it just is so natural, and you can come at it so authentically. Well, I hope so. I certainly hope so. I certainly know what it's like for the two cultures to blend. And, and in my work, I don't do much writing. I do a lot of listening. I mean, I really, whatever I write comes from the people I speak with. So in that sense, it is authentic, too. I hope. Oh, yes. As a reader of Acts of Atonement and having the experience of all that is going on all of it that is happening gives me a chance, I think any of us a chance, to really experience things that we wouldn't all have a chance to do, but because of the cast of characters, have an insight so we can really experience this and learn some understanding, empathy, because of all that we see and are experiencing in our world, in our cultures right now. Hmm. Well, I do hope so. I mean, a lot of it does reflect stuff that's going on and things that I learned when I was doing my other research. You know, the kind of barriers that girls and, and women in certain cultures face, both from their culture and also from outside of their culture, and the kind of biases that people hold against one another. I mean, if I have any hope, any hope for this book, it is that the characters will be so appealing, even when they 
behave badly, and they often do, but they'll, they'll be so appealing that people will go beyond whatever they may think of the particular character or the particular culture and see their basic humanity. I mean, that is my hope. And isn't that what literature is about, to help us to, to deal with that, uh, to take time to get perspectives and insights so that we broaden our understanding, broaden our mind? I would hope so. I would hope so. I, actually, I read something very interesting the other day, that the word novel, the reason they're called novel, is because they're supposed to give us new ideas. That's why it's called a novel. So I thought that was pretty cool. That is very cool. It, and it's so logical, but I had not heard that before. Nor so, I. <laughs> it's, it's a revelation. That, that is a revelation. So let's take a moment thinking of revelations that you are going to actually be here in our area, in our lovely Seattle, uh, at yes. uh, the end of the week on Friday, July the 8th. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. And I'm thrilled. I've never been to Seattle. I've always wanted to go. I have a bunch of relatives who live there. That's what gave me the idea that this would be a wonderful place to do a reading um, because they're always raving about Seattle. <laughs> and yes, I'm going to be there uh, twice in two places. Well, I only know about uh, Friday evening at Cooth Buzzard Books. Exactly. Right? Yeah, seven thirty at Cooth Buzzard Books. I'll be doing a talk and book signing. But I'll also be doing just a signing, not a not a reading, at Magnolia's Bookstore on McGraw Street. Yes. From noon to two p.m. on Saturday, the next day. Well, wonderful because uh, people may be able to take uh, advantage of only one, but if also the advantage of being able to see you, and especially Friday evening at both places. So uh, that is really, I think, an incredible opportunity and experience, uh, especially to hear you read from Acts of Atonement. So that's here in Seattle, and we are a bookish. We are a a reading city. We're a writer city. So Mm -hmm. I hope that you're going to be feeling quite at home here. Oh, I, I'm sure I will. I've heard nothing but good things about Seattle, so I'm I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled to be going there. It's a, it's a, it's it's an excuse to get there, but it's a fabulous excuse to also see the city, and I hope to. Yes, definitely a good time uh, in the summertime to see us, and with all our mountains and mm. all the beautiful sunshine that we'll have at that time. And Susan, you know, Seattle, like so many areas across our entire country, has been grappling with a lot of things. And I think much of what you are touching on in Acts of Atonement and how we can learn to understand each other and have compassion uh, will be an important conversation to have as much as it might occur at the evening presentation at uh, Cooth Buzzard Books. So... There are things, culturally, we are a very diverse city. There's so much that is so rich about that, and yet we find ourselves battling. So I, I think through the book, through Acts of Atonement, we can come to maybe get a, an appreciation of how we can proceed better, stronger? Mm, I would hope so. I would hope so. I mean, the biases persist through uh, acts of atonement. And, and some of the biases are, I mean, I, I know them from personal experience. Because I'm both Jewish and Latina, and my family is completely, you know, split in two, and I can, I can move in either world. And so 
sometimes when I'm in one world, they'll forget I'm also the other world and let something slip, <laughs> that, you know, some of their bias, and it works in both directions. So I've sort of spent my life trying to be an ambassador in a sense and say, hey, I'm, I'm also Latina, guys, or I'm also Jewish, guys, and uh, this is what we're really like. I've always sort of seen that as a role for myself. And, and I'm hoping that the book does something similar that shows that we do have biases, but that, but that we can listen. We can listen to one another, and we can love one another, and we can kind of cross those biases in, in different ways. And isn't your family really the epitome of that? You're, with your mother and father coming together, it showed, it shows that, you know, we can find common ground. Yes, there are these differences, but there are so many things that are different that really have a common basis to them. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And that a little rebellion isn't a bad thing. <laughs> it both <laughs> needed to be, this was in, we're talking the 1950, we're talking 1950. When, when there was even less mixing. Fortunately, I think these days, uh, people, particularly young people, have much less trouble, much, much less trouble, and, and much less bias in many ways. I think there's an acceptance of other cultures. I think there's an acceptance of being LGBTQI in a way that I certainly don't remember when I was young. So I have hope. Oh, I don't remember any of that even being, thinking of LGBTQI even being a fly on the wall as right. I grew up in the 50s into the 60s. It came more into the 70s, I think, as it became more something that we were discussing. And then, you know, in really tough or really harsh circumstances that were going on. So, mm-hmm. yes, so we've made progress. And yet, uh, maybe that's what progress means. That sometimes there's even the, a strong reaction to it oh, as, yes. we, oh, as yes. we have oh, happening. Plenty. Oh, oh, it's not a, it's certainly not clear sailing and, and, and even less clear sailing now than it was maybe 10 years ago. However, however, among the young people, I think it's clearer. And I guess that's what gives me hope. Mm. Um, my daughter is a teacher, and she says that in her, her classrooms, uh, it's no biggie, as she puts it. It just isn't. And that's something, something important. Yes, absolutely. It, that is hopeful. Because we know that for us to be able to survive as a culture, as a world, we need to be able to find that common ground. And I, I think, again, this is where we need to have conversations and a, and a book, a novel such as Acts of Atonement gives us that space where we can discuss these things and talk about characters and then apply it to ourselves. I hope so. I do hope so. They are kind of unique characters, but but there. I hope there's stuff that's universal and can be can be discussed peaceably, because that is that is one of the aims of the book. It's that identity is neither as monolithic or as sort of boxed in as we might think, and that we share things that we might not think we share. So, as you were developing these amazing characters, Serac. Am I saying that right? Sarah, yeah. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah Sarah. And Paloma. Well, first Sarah came to you because you needed her to kind of bring out the story of the young boy who is her brother mm-hmm. in the context of these two books. Did you relate to her in terms of some of the cultural heritage because of, of your upbringing, having a half-Jewish family? Mm-hmm. Well, no. In fact, I mean, Jews are so diverse, so totally diverse. I guess you'd 
call me an Upper West Side Jew and a sort of conservative. I'm not, I'm not orthodox at all, and I was raised very reformed, very sort of radical. So I didn't really know that. It's because I've made orthodox friends, frankly, that I learned about it, and because my work took me into the orthodox community. And I had to do a lot more research, actually, into that than I did into the Latina part. The Latina part was much easier. That was mostly personal experience. But the Jewish part, because Orthodox Jews and Reformed Jews really do differ in many ways, though we have many commonalities, I had to do some research. And obviously, the, the research really pays off largely for us, because I found it so amazing to to learn about some of the the rituals and the prayers and that went along with it and how deeply the people were steeped in it. Uh, so the research, as I say, it really has paid off. No, it has. And I, and I had readers. I mean, I had some experts take a look at it and say, no, Susan, it's not like that at all. You have to do it again. And I would do it again. You'd have to go back and, re- and rewrite yeah. some or research some more. Yeah, exactly. But that was good. I have I had I had a lot of good readers who who were willing to criticize and willing to say no, you got it wrong, which is very important, I think, for a writer. So I'm guessing finally it's right in quotations that well, the book has come out. Yes, I hope so. <laughs> I certainly hope so. Though I I wouldn't count on not getting some. Some critiques from people who say, "No, you got it wrong." Even, even with the expertise that I that I had uh, given to me. In fact, the, the Spanish part. My mother was, of course, fluent, and she was a, Span- a teacher of Spanish. And she passed away a while ago. And with the first book, she corrected me. With this book, I had to seek out other people because my Spanish, although fluent, is slightly inventive. <laughs> I learned it in my grandmother's kitchen. I didn't learn it in a textbook. I'd never studied it. Well, I did have to have people correct that, too. Well, along those lines, I must then say I just really do appreciate that we have the back pages of the book, (laughs) essentially this glossary, so we have a dictionary to guide us along. (laughs) And I I would find myself having to look at that. Maybe that's my (laughs) back career as an English teacher myself, that... (laughs) I had to go and look up these words and, and see what this was, but I appreciated that you did this. Oh, you ha- I had to, because it's got Yiddish words, it's got Hebrew words, and it's got Spanish words in it. So, I mean, very few people have all three, and I don't have all three. I don't speak Yiddish at all, although that had, I need help on, too, and I, I'm not certainly not fluent in Hebrew. But, uh, yeah, I would have needed it, so I figured my readers probably would need it. We do, <laughs> and we're grateful, <laughs> yes. <laughs> question about how the Orthodox Jewish community looks or would look at this, because there's so much that is that feels really private, and mm-hmm. that it's kind of like, you know, we, you don't look, well, even in the, it's a Jewish service, the women aren't even supposed to be able to see past this curtain what's going on. So to be able to let outsiders like ourselves look in, is there kind of an, a resistance or an aversion to that? I doubt very much that I'll have very many Orthodox readers outside of my couple of friends, truthfully. I don't think this is going to be a bestseller in the Orthodox community. Um, because, well, even for someone like myself, and I'm Jewish, and I know some of the rituals, I, I mean, I, I, I would not myself sit behind a curtain, but I know a lot of the stuff, um, and the prayers are very, very important to me, and many of the rituals are important to me. But even for me, some of the stuff that, that more orthodox people, more seriously observant 
people observe is a different world, truly a different world. That it is. And, and that's why I think I appreciated being able to see this because it's, it's awesome in the sense of, you know, that it's so new. And, and to have that deep, deep belief is something I, I respect that. That's incredible. I do, too. I really respect it. I don't think I could have it. I don't think I could follow quite so many. I couldn't follow those many rules. It's not my nature. But, but I see how much it means and what kind of deep, deep strength people draw from it, from that belief. And it is, it is awesome. It truly is. As is Paloma's belief in, in you know, she's, she, she rejects a lot of Catholicism. Again, because of the male dominance, frankly, it's why Sarah rejects the, the orthodoxy, Paloma also. And Paloma only turns to the Virgin Mary. She does not turn to Jesus. She only turns to the Virgin Mary because she figures she's a fellow woman and she'll understand. So, but for people who have, and she has deep faith, for people who have that faith, my grandmother had that faith. My grandmother was deeply Catholic. And I respected that too, even though I would, I, I'm not Catholic myself. And it's great to bring these two cultures, because they are quite predominant cultures in our world, to bring these forward and to be able to look at them through the eyes as we have with Sirak and Paloma gives us a chance to really consider where we are and how we think. And and then what you say about prayer, how it the healing power of it, however it is we pray, even perhaps if we don't believe in a greater power. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Faith gets these two women through, despite everything. Despite everything, it is faith. It's, it's a deep faith in something beyond themselves, and it's a faith in their re- the relationship. And that requires faith as well. And, you know, it is ultimately what heals them. Well, that and atonement. Oh, complicated as atonement is. And it is. Well, it features in the title of the book, so atonement really plays a role not only in this story, but then we, I think we can take that back into our lives and see where, where it might play out here and where we need to go with it. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping so. And, and my characters struggle with it. It's not as if it's easy and it's not as if it's ever complete. But I think that's more realistic, actually, to not think of it. it it's hard to do. And it raises all sorts of interesting issues, like are you atoning for your own sake or are you atoning for the person you've hurt? It's complicated. And also, you know, if, if you have split loyalties, and both Serach and Paloma and, and the other characters, their brothers, for example, they all have split loyalties one way or another. So sometimes when you atone for something you've done to one, you actually end up hurting the other. So it gets complicated and, and requires a lot of thought and a lot of, delving into your own soul, really. Yet it's that process, too, that we can experience through the book, and and then I find, you know, we can apply into our own lives, is how do we navigate all that, and what does it mean, and, and how we have to not feel that we are the God playing all the roles, that mm-hmm. We, mm-hmm. we can let go of things and, and allow for everyone else to also be doing their own work in this. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, 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 and it's also the difficulty of, of forgiving and of healing. But they, they try that also. And, you know, we all have to do that as well if we're going to move forward. Exactly. And that's how, again, it's so incredibly relevant to us, to today. I mean, it always has been. But I think as 
as everything plays out in our world very visibly and almost in real time these days, these are things that we really need to these things being forgiveness and atonement and, well, listening and understanding and letting go, these are things we really need to pay attention to in the context of all that. I think so. I think you're absolutely right. We do. We do. Or else we just walk around embittered and angry and hurting other people. So, yeah, we have to. We have to. We have to forgive. We have to heal. And we have to atone for the stuff we do that's wrong. It's true. So with all of that in mind, Susan, as you wrote the book, as you were getting into the writing then of the second book, did you see all of that necessarily playing out? Or were you dealing with the characters and their experiences? Well, there are elements of the contemporary world in the book, and uh, particularly in the justice system. That, that I, I sort of wrestled with that, and I think there is some relevance there, um, or, you know, what is restorative justice, and can we have real justice? That's in the outside world. But most of it was just pertinent to the, to the characters and to their own particular uh, bad behaviors. <laughs> Yet they are really engaging people. They feel almost like flesh and bone people that you want to get to know and to, to spend time with yourselves, I think. Well, that's wonderful to hear. Uh, because there was there was one time when I was sort of trying out a plot sequence with my husband over dinner, and and he looked at me very hard. He said, "Susan, you do realize that these are not real people, don't you?" <laughs> and I said, "They're not." He goes, "Truly, I, I did. I lived with them for for a good year. I mean, this time around, and I lived with them for a year with with the first book, and they were my companions. I did think of them almost as real." Well, I I love hearing that because I have heard a few other authors say that, and I just find that to be just so amazing that the characters speak to you and that they are that real. I think that helps with us really being able to connect with them and understand that as well. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I do hope so. I do hope so. So we can all uh, learn more or have our own questions and and uh, ask about things uh, because you're going to be here in our wonderful Seattle area, uh, the end of the week on July the 8th. So Friday evening, you're going to be at uh, Cooth Buzzard Books in Greenwood, right? It's on, it's 8310 Greenwood Avenue North, I guess. That's what the end must stand for, North. And yes, it'll be 7.30 on Friday, July 8th. And then on Saturday, July 9th, I won't be speaking, but if people can't come to to the Friday night one, I'll be at Magnolia's bookstore, which is at 3206 West McGraw Street, and I'll be there from noon to 2 p.m. I'll just be signing. It's supposedly, I think, across the street from some marvelous farmer's market, which will be tempting me the whole time I'm standing there, but (laughs) but in any event, evidently, people come to the farmer's market, and uh, Magnolia's is hoping they will cross the street and come buy a book, and so am I. Absolutely, and definitely because this is feeling like... Finally, we can do this after such a long time and over two years that we've had actual in-person book events. I mean, this is a a big time to get there and to celebrate this. Oh, absolutely. I had my first book event here in New York, and it was only the second event that the bookstore had had since COVID started. And the one before me was just a week before. I just made it under the wire, and it it felt so good. (laughs) It really did. (laughs) Well, I think it's so wonderful that we can be doing this again. 
so Susan, to find out more about you, you have a website that we can connect with, correct? That's right. I'm at www.ssandsusanwleichher.com. And you can find out about this book. You can find out about the prior book, the book that leads into it. And you can find out a little bit about me and read some stuff, read things that other people have written about it, uh, about the book, and, uh, and order it. You can order it directly from my publisher. I mean, you can go to Amazon as well. And if you want, there's an audio book of the first one, and I'm working on the audio book for the second one. If you want those, you have to go to Amazon for sure, to Audible. But you can order it either from Amazon or from my publisher. And you are the narrator. I, yes, I'm the narrator. Uh, wonderful. <laughs> I, couldn't resi- I couldn't resist. It was fun. <laughs> it was great fun. Oh, I can appreciate that. That is really terrific. And, of course, keep in mind that uh, either get your books ahead of time or absolutely at the book events that are coming up this next weekend, which will be a fine time because you're there to sign the books as well, Susan. Absolutely. And I'd love to give. I'd love my, my publisher will get business either way, but I would love to support independent bookstores in a, in a book city. That, that makes me very happy. And I couldn't agree more. That would be so perfect. Well, this has been perfect. I so appreciate that we've been able to have a conversation prior to these events to inspire people to be there. So thank you for your your talent for bringing such remarkable stories to life for us and for spending time with us this morning. Well, I am thrilled to be with you, Kate, and I'm thrilled to be going to Seattle, and I'm thrilled to reach your audience. So thank you. That brings us to the end of a very full hour of Inspirational Women with Susan Leischer and Sunday Morning Magazine with Elaine Park. I'm Kate Daniels, your host, and I greatly appreciate your sharing this hour with me and these special guests. For details you might have missed or information you'd like to know, please just send me an email. That's to Kate, K-A-T-E-D, at warm1069.com and I will get right back to you. Also, if you'd like to listen again or share these important stories with your family and friends, find the podcast on our Warm 1069 webpage. Just click on the podcast tab, then either of the show names and then look for the guest names. I now wish you and your family a day of sharing, sharing our family stories and celebrating the great potential we are for this great country. Have a week of the same and then please plan to join me again next weekend for another hour of Sunday Morning Magazine and Inspirational Women on Warm 106.9. Good morning.